All right. Thank you, Brother John. I am Pastor Dusty, Pastor Emeritus. That's a big word. It just simply means I'm old, all right? I'm honored to be here today. I really appreciate our pastor, uh, Pastor Andy John. He texted me this morning and told me he was praying for me. And I said, I'm praying for you that you hadn't gotten eaten by a polar bear yet. So uh, they're in Alaska with a mission team there, Pastor Jordan and Willow Baptist Church. And so pray for our pastor and his team as they're there uh, serving the Lord on mission. I really appreciate our pastor. I really appreciate the opportunities afforded me today to preach in his absence. But I really appreciate our pastor. He's been preaching some strong messages. And I really appreciate the way he preaches and teaches the Bible. The last couple of weeks, especially on parenting and on marriage. I'm glad my wife was here last week to hear that message on marriage. I really was. <laughs> but she's not here today because I'm preaching. But she has a migraine today. So we married our granddaughter last night. I had the opportunity and the privilege to marry my oldest granddaughter, Claire. She was married last night. And so uh, she didn't survive that this morning. But she has a migraine. So pray for Patsy. Pray for Claire and Austin a young couple, and I really enjoyed having the opportunity to really officiate that wedding, so pray for them. We're starting a new series on three campuses, all the other campuses, and of course the main campus today. We're starting a new series on the minor prophets, on the minor prophets. So I'm really excited about this, about this opportunity. Now, if you think about the Bible, uh, you think about the Old Testament. The New Testament has 27 books, and the Old Testament has 39 books in it. Now, the Old Testament is broken down into five different sections. Uh, the first section is the book of the law. It was written by Moses. It's called the Pentateuch, or in the Hebrew, it's called the Torah. And then the next 12 books is called the historical books. Now, these are the books of Joshua and Judges and Chronicles and Kings and Samuel and Nehemiah, those books. They're, they're the historical books. And then there's five books called the books of poetry and literature, that would be the Psalms, and that would be also the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. And then you have the major prophets. Now, they're major prophets, not because they were greater than the minor prophets. They're major prophets because of the length of their text. Now, this would be Isaiah. This would be Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And, of course, Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations. So those five books. And then the last 12 books in the Old Testament is called the Minor Prophets. Now, they're called Minor Prophets because of the brevity of their text. And so these Minor Prophets are what we're going to be studying over the next month here in February. So open your Bibles today as we start with the book of Jonah. And I'm glad we're starting with Jonah. That was the text I was assigned, Jonah. And I'm glad we're starting with Jonah because that's my favorite book in the Old Testament. It's my testimonial book, if you will. And so I'm excited today to be uh, preaching in Jonah. And so uh, turn your Bibles there to the book of Jonah. We'll be covering those, all of those four chapters, those uh, 48 verses in Jonah. Now, in most prophetic books they are written, the prophet delivers a message from God to the people. But Jonah is a message. The entire book is the message. It's very similar to the book of Ruth. Ruth is the message in that whole book. And so Jonah is a book within itself. Now, some historians have interpreted Jonah to be a myth. They say it's a fable, an allegory, or even a parable. But let me read to you what Jesus said in the New Testament about Jonah. Now listen to Matthew chapter 12, verse 39 through 41, what Jesus said about Jonah. He said this, 
An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, now watch this, the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented of the preaching, that they repented of the preaching of Jonah and indeed a one greater than Jonah is here right now. Amen? So Jesus affirms, if you will, Jesus validates the book of Jonah that it wasn't a myth it's not a fable. He's a real person with real experiences. It reminds me of little Johnny. It really does. <laughs> little Johnny was in school in the fifth grade, and the teacher was talking about mammals in the ocean, and she mentioned the whale. Little Johnny raised his hand like this. She said, what is it, little Johnny? He said, at church, my Sunday school teacher was teaching us about a whale swallowing a grown man named Jonah. And the teacher, kind of being a liberal, she said, do you really believe, little Johnny, that a whale could swallow a grown man? He said, well, I don't really know, but i tell you what, when I get to heaven, I'm going to look up Mr. Jonah, and I'm going to ask him about it. And she's being sarcastic. She said, well, what if Mr. Jonah didn't go to heaven? What if he went to hell? He said, then you can ask him. <laughs> I love little Johnny. <laughs> I really do. I love him. Jonah's a real person. It's not a myth. This is not just a story, it's a narrative in the Old Testament. And Jesus himself affirmed Jonah and validate that. So today we're going to go on the voyage, if you will, with the prophet Jonah. And we're going to hit some stormy water, right? Jonah was in a storm, as we'll see today. But we look ahead and find out that God was in control. God had everything according to his plan. And God delivers grace and mercy even to those who don't deserve it. Even when we rebel against God, even when we disobey God, God's mercy has a way of reaching us. To the vilest sinner, as Andy John would say, to the prisoner, to the pastor, God's grace is available. And it was for Jonah as well. And so let's look at that today. Look in verse 1. Turn to Jonah chapter 1 and let's look at verse 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and he said this. This is what God was saying to his man his prophet Jonah. Arise, Jonah, and go to Nineveh, that great city. And it was a great city. And cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up to me. Now look at Jonah's call. God said, Jonah, you're my man. You're the prophet. I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach to them, because I'm really working in that city ahead of you, and they're going to come to repentance, and I want you to preach the gospel. And so he gave him two imperatives. He said, Jonah, I want you to go, arise and go, and secondly, I want you to cry out. In other words, I want you to preach. I want you to preach to the Ninevites. Now, God often calls and commissions his prophets to speak to other nations along with the nation of Israel in regards to his coming judgment. God's a God of love and peace and comfort, but he's also the God of judgment. He judges sin. So he said, you know, he called his prophets to go and commission them to preach to other nations, especially about his coming judgment. Now, Nineveh, in verse number 2, we see that Nineveh was a great city. Nineveh was the capital city, if you will, of Assyria. Now, Assyria was a very prominent 
Empire. A very prominent empire. And they were the enemies of Israel. So you got to understand the context, what Jonah's talking about here and what God's asking Jonah to do. Jonah is the enemy of Israel. And God said, I want you to go to the enemy and I want you to preach to them that, I'm, that I forgive them and I want to I save them and I want them to repent. Now, when you think about that, that commission, you think about who Assyrians are. They were the enemy of Israel. There's some 6th uh, century drawings, uh, you know, these drawings they have, these drawings and artwork that reveal some of the victims of the Assyrians. They would, uh, they would rip limbs off, they would cut their ears off, their tongues pulled out, and they would have human totem poles of the heads lining the city of those of Israelites. And so you can understand why Jonah ran. You can understand why Jonah hated the Ninevites. He hated the Assyrians because they were the enemy. They were wicked people. They were violent and vile people. And it'd be like us. We have people that we don't like, even hate, I would assume, at times. But you know what? Think about it. God loves them. That's hard, isn't it? God loved it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, have everlasting life. God says, bless those that persecute you. Bless those that say all manner of evil against you. That's a hard saying of Jesus. Right? That's hard preaching. By the way, it's hard living. It's hard living. I got some folks I just don't kind of like. Do you? Let's be honest. But God loves them. And God loved the Ninevites Enough to call them to repentance. But Jonah wasn't having none of it. They're the enemies. So what did he do? Jonah ran. Jonah ran. We must remember that wickedness and evil are pre prevalent in our society even today. But remember this. The Ninevites sinned against God first. Before they sinned against Israel... They sinned against God, and God is willing to forgive them. And so we must be willing to forgive others as well. So God said their wickedness and their evil has come up before me. I thought about that, and I wondered, what's God going to do with us in America? I wonder how much our wickedness and vileness is coming up before the Lord and when he's going to call us into judgment, if you will. Anyway, that was just a thought I had. So we see Jonah rebelled and Jonah runs. Look in verse 3. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found the ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah is trying to escape the presence of the Lord. Oh, foolish Jonah. Father, bless this message. We commit it to you, Lord. Use it to speak into our hearts, to grow us as Christians. And Lord, for those here today that don't know Christ, Lord, you forgive them. Your grace and mercy reaches down into their very soul. I pray they would comprehend that and understand that. And Lord, they would give up the pride, give up that unforgiveness in their heart and come to Jesus today. That's our prayer. Use this text. Use the foolishness of preaching to confound even the wise and draw people to you through your grace and mercy is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. And so Jonah ran from God. He disobeyed God. Why? Because God was going to save his enemies. 
Can you imagine that? He's rebelling against God, disobeying God because God wants to save the enemies. You see, Satan is our enemy. Now, that's how you got to think as a Christian. I'm just here to tell you. You got to know, you got to believe it's not your neighbor, it's not your loved one, it's not the government. Satan is the enemy. He's the author of sin, he's a liar. Right? He's the one that wants to destroy your life. It's not that individual that you don't like. It's Satan behind all of that. So keep that in mind. I'm telling you, it'll help you. It really will. Our battle is with sin. Our battle is with evil, just like Jesus did. He confronted evil and wickedness, and that's what our battle is. It's not with that individual. It's with the sin and the evilness in the world and the wickedness. And so we need to always remember that. Now, I'm going to give you some principles today. They'll be on the screen. Here's number one. When you run from God, you run smack dab into God. When you try to run from God, I promise you from experience, you'll run smack dab into God. That's exactly what's going to happen to Jonah. He's thinking, oh, I'm going to run from God. I'm going to go to Tarshish, man. He's about to run smack dab into God, right? And so that's what happens. See, you can't hide from God. By the way, why would we? Why would we want to hide from God? We don't hide from God. We hide in God. It's in Christ. We're in Christ, and Christ is in us. So we don't need to hide and run from God. We need to be in God and in Christ as well. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Psalms 46.1. God is our refuge. He is our strength. He's a present help in times of trouble. Corey Ten Boone said he is our hiding place. He's my hiding place. He's not where I run from. He's where I run to in times of trouble. Right? He's my refuge. I talk to him. He talks to me. He helps me. He takes me to the woodshed sometimes, right? He can do that. And by the way, he has all authority to do that. He's our anchor in the storm. Now, we must realize that God's going to fight our battles. And we got to trust God even when we don't understand him. Jonah didn't really understand it. There's times I don't understand some folks and I have to trust God. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And that's what Jonah needed to do. Trust the Lord. Lean, don't lean on your understanding. You can't figure this out. Trust him and he'll direct your path, which he does, by the way. 2 Peter 3.9, the New Living Transition, which Pastor Andy John uses. Listen to this, 2 Peter 3.9. God is being patient for our sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. He don't want to destroy anyway. Well, I thought God's a loving God. He is. He is a loving God. He don't want to destroy anyone. He's against sin. And he's going to destroy sin. He's going to destroy Satan one day. He's a defeated foe. Do you know that? He's going to destroy Satan. He's allowing him a season I don't understand all of that. He's allowed him to see. He's a prince of this air. That's why wickedness is in our land because of Satan and our battle is with him. Principle number two, you cannot outrun God nor can you outrun sin. 
quit trying. You just need to come clean, just like Jonah. You're going to have to come clean with God. You can't outrun God, and you can't outrun your sin. God, God knows where you live. He reads your email, your texts. He's on your Facebook. He knows us. We can't hide from God. We can't outrun God or our sin. I'm telling you, uh, I think Jonah felt like he was doing the right thing. He kind of justified it in his mind. Well, they're the enemies. I mean, I know the atrocities that they've done against my people. I'm surely not going to go preach to them. I know what God will do. He'll save them. <laughs> He'll save them. I don't want them to get saved. I want them to be destroyed. They've hurt my people and all of those things. So Jonah felt justified even though he wasn't. And I'm telling you what's he, what he's doing now. Listen to me. Listen very carefully. What Jonah's doing is inviting God's consequences and God's confrontation. Because of his rebellion, disobedience to God, he's inviting God's confrontation and God's consequences, which God's about to deliver. He's about to deliver. He's about to confront Jonah, right? He's going to confront Jonah because of his sin. Now, here's another principle. Our sin eventually invites God's confrontations. Our sin eventually invites God's confrontations. The Bible says in Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sins will find you out. By the way, everybody gets caught. Everybody. In the end, in the end, everybody gets caught. Well, if I, I, I can't believe so-and-so did this. They're going to stand before God, just like you, just like me. Everybody gets caught. But it invites God's confrontation. Now, in, in verse number four, look at verse number four. What did God do? But God sent a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up, and the mariners were afraid, and they cried out to God. Now, listen to it. They cried out to their God, and uh, in, in verses 4 through 16, there comes a great sea. You know the story. You know the narrative here in chapter 1. A great sea. It broke the ship up. They tried to unload the ship, all of that, and it was, it, they couldn't do anything. The sea, the tempest was too bad. And so they tried to unload it, and then they called everybody together. Somebody's God's mad at us, and the lot fell on Jonah. And Jonah said, you're right. My God is mad at me. He told me to go to Nineveh, and I didn't go. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the God, not the God you dudes are worshiping. I worship the real God, the God of the sea, the God of this storm. And they said, well, man, what are we going to do? And he said, I'll tell you what. He said, I don't know, but I, if you just throw me overboard, the sea is going to, it, it'll calm down. And they had enough gumption about them. They said, we can't do that. So they kept rowing and rowing. These, these mariners, man, they, they, were, they couldn't throw Jonah overboard. So they kept rowing and rowing and rowing there in verse number 10. They were afraid. And uh, so they rowed and they couldn't do it. They couldn't row against God, right? So what did they do? They picked him up and threw him overboard. They threw him overboard into the rough, raging sea. And guess what happened? The sea calmed down. Just like Jonah said, you throw me overboard, my God's after me. He's about to confront me. Jonah didn't know how. He just knew God was in control, and he was. He, they threw him overboard, and now he's inviting God's confrontation. He's about to have one with God, right? You know how it goes. So what happens, sin affects those around us. Don't you think about this. Adam and Eve, did that affect you? 
Did Adam and Eve's sin affect us? Yes. We got kicked out of the garden, right? Because of sin. Achan, uh, and, and he disobeyed God. God said destroy everything. He kept some stuff under his tent. Guess what happened? His whole household was killed because of Achan's sin. What about David? David lost four sin, four sons because of his sin against Bathsheba. God's consequences, God's confrontation. And God sent the prophet Nathan and said, Jonah, you're the man. I'm going to have to deal with you. You're rebelling against me. You sinned against me. I forgive you, but i got to deal with you. And he did. And David repented, wrote Psalms 32 and Psalms 51. So you see, when we sin, we invite God's confrontation. And by the way, listen to me, our sin affects everybody around us. We don't think about it in that affair. We don't think about it when we're doing this and that. It affects your spouse, your parents, your children, your neighbor, your community, your church members. Our sin affects all of us. I thought about those five policemen over in Memphis when they beat that young man to death. You know who it affected? It affected that boy's parents. It affected their parents. It affected their siblings. It affected their relatives. It affected their community. It affected the whole nation because of their sin, right? So when you start to sin this week, you just remember this. It's going to affect some other folk. Not only you, and you're going to, you're going to bite God's consequences, his confrontation, but your sin affects a whole lot of people. We don't think about that, do we? That's why I'm preaching today. <laughs> Right? To help us, to remind us. And we do need to be reminded of that. Our sin, another principle, our sin never affects just us. It affects those around us. That's principle number four. It does. It affects everybody. By the way, it's his sin affected the mariners in the boat with him. Did it not? You know what happened to them? They got saved. Isn't it ironic how God works? He told Jonah, go to Nineveh. Preach to those lost folks, but he went in the boat, he disobeyed. God saved all those in the boat. <laughs> God can do that, by the way. He can take our wrongs and make them right, even. And he did. So, God's confrontation, but he's still reaching out to Zona. By the way, you can't outrun God in sin, you can't outrun God's grace. You cannot outrun God's mercy and God's grace. It's there for you. You just got to accept it. Now, look in chapter 2. Now, verse number, uh, chapter 2, uh, look in, uh, Jonah went down. By the way, verse 17, what did God do? God prepared a great fish. Look at it. Verse 17 of chapter 1, God prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Look at this. And he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, just like Jesus said. And so, what would happen to Jonah if God hadn't sent the fish? He would have drowned. You've heard me say that before. So God prepared a fish to save him. By the way, he prepared the storm, the tempest, but he also prepared grace, a fish, to swallow Jonah. And so he's confronting Jonah. And Jonah's going down to rock bottom. And by the way, your past, this pastor, rather, I've been there. I've been to rock bottom. I really have in my life. You may know my testimony, you may not, but I've been to rock bottom, and Jonah's headed there because God's confronting him. Why? So he can get his attention. That's why. That's why you go to rock bottom. That's why you're at the end of your rope, because God's really trying to get your attention. 
And sometimes we don't listen, but we better. Thank God that Jonah did. Now, what happened? Look in verse number, chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed. Wow. Yeah, if you get to rock bottom, I promise you, you start praying. Then Jonah prayed from the fish's belly. He's in there three days and three nights. And in verse 2 through verse 6, I mean, it's ugly inside that belly's inside that whale's belly. I mean, I know we're going to eat here in a minute, but it's, it's awful. There's a lot of stuff in there, green, all that stuff. And so it's a picture of sin. Jonah's in sin. He's in the bed, and he's going, oh, what am I going to do? I'm going to do. And he, he remembered the Lord, and he cried out to God. He was supposed to cry out to the Ninevites, but God confronted him in the consequences he's in, and now he's crying out to God. He prayed, God, help, SOS, help. And God's a God of mercy and grace. And God heard that plea and God heard that cry. He really did. You see, as painful as rock bottom is, that's usually where we experience God's grace to its fullest. Rock bottom, or the storms of life, is a beautiful reminder to me and to you there's no place that we can cry out that God doesn't hear us. Now listen to this. There's no valley too low. There's no grave too dark. There's no sea too deep that the unconditional love and forgiveness of God can deliver us with his arms of grace and mercy. We really don't understand God's grace and mercy, really, until we try, until we try, listen to this, saving ourselves. You ever tried to save yourself? Sure you have. All of us probably have. Well, I'm a good person. I do a lot of good stuff. I'm not that bad. I'm certainly not bad as Bradley. I don't know where Bradley is, but I'm not as bad as Bradley. <laughs> right? We can always find someone there. I'm not a bad, you know, and we justify. We justify that. And so God's mercy is for you. And what you need to do very plainly is lay down the oars of unforgiveness and pride. And once you lay down those oars, I'm telling you, you're about to meet a loving, merciful God. I'm telling you, I have, and I did. Once I laid down those oars in my life of sin, at rock bottom is where I met the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't deserve it. I was a sinner. I was a hellion. And, he, and I, he, his mercy reached me. His mercy and grace reached me. And I'm telling you, it's for real. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved, listen to this, through faith and not of yourselves. You can't save yourself. You can't get good enough to go to heaven. It's a gift of God. It's not of works lest any man should boast. Jonah finally came to the end of himself. And that's what God had been trying to tell him and trying to teach him. He had to get his attention. He had to get his, the consequences, and God had to confront him. But finally, he did. And look in verse number 6. Oh, I love this. Jonah said, I went down to the bottom, the moorings of the mountains. That's rock bottom. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet, you have brought me up from the pit. I talked about that in my, while I was here. I came from the pit, I mean the pit to the pulpit. That's the grace of God, isn't it, Freddie? That is the grace of God. From the pit of hell to the pulpit, 
I'm telling you, he's a good God. Now look in verse. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit. That's what Jonah said. Oh, Lord, my God. You think he's got a different attitude now? Oh, yeah. He's repenting. When my soul, verse 7, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. Some of you here today, and some of you watching my live stream, you just need to remember who God is. And you can't save yourself. Put those oars down and receive the oars of grace and mercy. And my prayer went up to you, Lord, in your holy temple. So he cried out to God. And so Jonah's finally coming to the end of himself. That's what's happening. And by the way, that's how you get saved. Do you know that's why most people don't get saved? Because they won't give up self. I had a lady tell me one time, the most honest response I've ever gotten from a lady named Susan. I was witnessing to her. She said, Dusty, I'm just not ready to give up some stuff. And that's right. That's what happens. We're just not ready to give up ourselves. Jonah wasn't until he met God in God's confrontation, if you will. And so uh, anyway, he, he laid down those oars. And find, by the way, the mariners laid down those oars too, didn't they? They, came to, they tried to row against God, didn't work. So they couldn't save themselves. They cried out to God and God saved them. Now, look in chapter 2 again. I want you to look in chapter 2 and look in verse number 10. So what happened to Jonah? Now this is why it's interesting to me. So the Lord spoke to the fish and the fish vomited Jonah up on dry land. Not a fable, not a myth. It actually happened. He had a first-class ticket to Nineveh, didn't he? So the fish just vomited him up there in Nineveh. Now he's at Nineveh where God wanted him to go. He went the hard way, didn't he? He really did. And so uh, here's, a, here's a good word today. God spared Jonah. He could have let him die. He did. But God is the God of second chance. Hallelujah. That'll make a Baptist shout. He's a God of second chance, sometimes third and fourth. But let me give you a warning. Everybody doesn't get a second chance. Lot's wife didn't. Ananias and Sapphira, mm -mm, dead on the spot. God took them out right there on the spot. They didn't get a second chance. Some do, some don't. That's God. He's in control. So he said, well, I'm waiting on my third and fourth chance. You better settle up. <laughs> you better get right. I'm just telling you. It's a warning. And God wants to help us with his grace and mercy. Well, Jonah, he got Jonah's attention now. And uh, Jonah's doing now what God had called him to do. He went to Nineveh and preached. And look in chapter 3. Look in verse 3. Verse 1. Now the, Lord of the, now the, Lord of, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Second chance saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And then verse number 4, And Jonah entered the city for the first day's walk. It was three days' walk. That's a, that's a large city. And then he cried out, For forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He's preaching to them now, and they're getting saved. He went into the city. And by the way, can you imagine this? I thought about this. It's kind of it's in our lesson. Uh, what if Jonah went to the city and, and there's that captain of that ship there? Wow. Some of those mariners there went to Nineveh and there's the captain. He says, Hey, are you Jonah? He said, How in the world did you get out of that sea, man? How did you survive? And Jonah says, 
you won't believe it. <laughs> well, tell me, Jonah. Y'all threw me in that sea, and I went down the bottom. This big old fish came up and swallowed me, and I was in that dude for three days and three nights. You all, oh, it was stunk, all that stuff. And then you won't believe this. He brought me to the land and bombing me out, and here I am. And the captain looks at him and says, you're right, I don't believe it. <laughs> Maybe you don't either. Maybe you don't want to believe it, that God's that kind of God of confrontation and consequences, but he's a God of mercy and grace. He gave Jonah a second chance. He'll give you one as well. And I'm telling you, see, Jonah resented. He resented God for his forgiveness. Jonah had unforgiveness and pride in his heart. That was his oars, unforgiveness and pride. There's going to be a lot of people split hell wide open because of pride. I'm just telling you. By the way, unforgiveness and pride are the two greatest sins of Christians. Christians. Unforgiveness, you got people locked in the closet, you got somebody in prison, you got the key, and guess what? You're the prisoner. They're not, you are. If you got somebody you won't forgive today, I'm telling you, you're in prison and you got the key. And God wants to unlock it. And then pride. I'm not going to go down in front of all those people. What will my buddies think if I get saved? By the way, what's God going to think? He's the one that created you. He's the one that loved you. He's the one that gave you life. And he wants to give you life everlasting. That's a good deal. Oh, my word. Please accept him today. He wants to save you. And then in chapter 4, he's going to get his attention. I need to wind up. I'm going to try to be like my pastor, try to be on time. What an example. Amen? <laughs> uh, but anyway, chapter 4, what happens? Well, Jonah repented. God saved him. He preached, but his attitude's still bad. Still got a bad attitude, hasn't he? And he don't really want them to invite saved, even though he preached to them. They were getting saved. Look in verse 4. So God saved, by the way, the king, oh my word, the king got saved of Nineveh. This is a wicked city. The king said, we're going to have a fast. Man, God's saving us. God's doing a great work in our land, and we're all going to fast and give God the glory, and the whole city got saved. I just wondered what would happen if our president or our leadership would fall on our face before a holy God and repent and say, God, forgive us. I just wonder what God would do in our nation, in our land. Amen? You've got to have godly leadership. I don't care if it's in your home, in your church, or in our government. You've got to have godly leadership wherever we are. But I just think that would happen someday, and maybe I'm praying for that. I know you are as well. But God, Jonah resented God and God's forgiveness, and what God, he's going to get his attention again. But look, look what God did. I don't have time to read all this. You can read it. But uh, God, uh, God, uh, saved the Ninevites and then it displeased verse 1 chapter 4 it displeased Jonah can you imagine that people getting saved right now he's preaching and it displeased him that God saved them I can't even imagine that it's a bad attitude isn't it it reminds me of the, of the Pharisees when Peter and John went into the temple and there was a lame man remember that and they, they healed that lame man. He was jumping up and down, praising God. And they said, what are y'all doing? So this, he said, I, they called him on the carpet and said, what happened to you? This man named Jesus. I mean, Peter and John touched me in the name of Jesus. And I'm walking now. 
Oh, no, they didn't really, he, Jesus didn't really do that. He's a blasphemer. Yeah, I don't know. That's up to you. All I know is I'm walking, dude. Look. <laughs> Look at me. You know me. I've been here all, all in front of the temple all this time. So they, they, they uh, called Peter and John. But their attitude was, this man was healed. And they, it displeased them. They resented it. What about the prodigal son's brother? Here's his brother left and got off in the hog pen of sin, wallowing in it, and his father just weak for his son, and his son came back and repented and got saved. They killed the fatty calf and all that. And you would think his brother say, oh, yes, my brother got saved. Hallelujah. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Dirty, rotten dog. Why did my dad give him all this stuff? He didn't give it to me. You see that attitude? Now, these are supposedly Christian folk with an attitude like that. So we got to check our attitudes sometimes, right? And so any of the story, God got his attention again. God sent a plan. You know God's merciful and grace. Jonah's out there hot. It's so hot. He's bald-headed and his sun's on his head. God raises up a plant, puts shade over him. And the Bible said it pleased Jonah. It pleased Jonah that God put that plant and all that shade. And God knew his attitude, so God sent a worm to eat the plant up. Now Jonah's all walling in the mouth again. All of that. So here's the last principle. Jonah's pleasure was more for his comfort than for the comforter. See his attitude? He was more concerned about self. He was more concerned about his comfort than he was the comforter. And so we have the narrative here. God loves us unconditional. But God loves us enough to get our attention. Whether he kind of send a great wind, a great storm, a great fish, a great plant, or a great worm, he knows how to get your attention. You don't want to get to rock bottom, I'm telling you. You don't want to go to rock bottom. Will God allow you to get there? Oh, yes. Why? Because you're the one that put yourself there. He's just there to help you get out. Maybe you're already there. Maybe you're headed there. Maybe so. Well, I'm just a good person. I just don't know Jesus, but I'm good. And that may be true, but you still need Jesus. And I pray today would be your day that God would confront you right now in this place by the Holy Spirit of God. What does that look like? I can tell you what it looked like. It happened to me in my closet. I'm crying out to God. Forgive me, Lord, I'm a sinner. God came in, put his spirit right in here, and he just lifted the burden of my sin off. I'm telling you, he just lifted that burden off. He'll do the same for you right here, right now. If you'll get to the end of self and deny yourself and follow him, take up your cross, I promise you he'll meet you right where you are. He'll save you and change your life, your attitude, the whole nine yards. It's a great thing when you fall into the hands of the Lord, when you're coming to him out of repentance. Amen? God desires for all of us to be saved. He really does. God desires for us to forgive others. Now think about this. If you don't forgive others, how's he going to forgive you? Now he's forgiven us of sin, but we have to forgive others. Here's what the Bible says in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. I'm reading right out of the Bible. If you forgive men their trespasses, 
your heavenly Father will forgive also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you of yours. That's why you got to get saved. You got to get saved God's way. Forgive yourself, first of all. Forgive yourself. Come to Jesus. Say, I want Christ to come into my life. And I'm telling you, under the authority of God's word and through the Holy Spirit of God, God will save you today from your sin and from yourself. He really will. Amen. You believe that? It's in the Bible. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for reminding us through your prophet Jonah that all of us have skeletons in the closet. From the pastor to the prisoner, every one of us have issues. Every one of us have sin. Those of us who are Christians today, we've just acknowledged that, that we're sinners. And we've asked you to forgive us, to come into our life and change us from the inside out. And you've done that for us. We're no better than anybody else. We're just saved. And I pray for those today who are struggling with a decision. Some need to come today and get clean with you, O Lord, and just say, Father, forgive me of my sin. Just forgive me, Lord. I don't understand all about this stuff, but I know I need Jesus. And I've heard this preaching today, and I, I know that you'll confront sin and you'll confront consequences with sin. So, Lord, I just want to know you. Give me, a, give me life and life everlasting. And he'll do that if you'll call on the name of the Lord. Father, would you save people today? There's some today that are saved that need a church family. Some need to come and join this church. Just walk down the aisle and say, I want to join this church today. You brought them here. Maybe they moved in the area. Bring them. Some need to come to the altar today. There's things in their heart that only coming to the altar may resolve today and help them. So I pray they would come, be obedient. Lord, whatever our need is today, whatever you desire us to do, I know your spirit will draw us. Now draw us, Father, to make that decision. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me? We're going to have an invitation. We're going to be here to greet you, but the altar's open. we got people here who will help you. They're trained to help you. So you come right now. As we sing.